The Judo Chop Suey podcast is presented by Health IQ, a life insurance agency that helps health conscious people lower their rates on their life insurance. Are you someone who takes care of their health and fitness and takes special care of themselves through proper nutrition? Do you lift weights or take part of a physical activity like judo? And I'm sure many of you listening do. Then visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more about Health IQ's special rates for active people like you and me. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ customers. So if you want to learn more about how Health IQ can help you save on your life insurance, visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to get a free rate quote and to learn more about Health IQ's special rates. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judah Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. What's going on, everybody? How you all doing? Hope you have had an excellent past couple of weeks, whether it be training or spending time with family or just having an overall successful month of February, which I can't believe. My goodness, we're in February already. I mean, we're actually we're almost toward the end of February, heading into March and Pretty soon, you got spring break. I'll be going on a little trip on spring break, just letting you guys know ahead of time. Um, looking forward to that. I'll be spending time with my family on a road trip. Uh, actually, that probably won't be as enjoyable as that sounds at the moment, but it should be a lot of fun um, seeing family and spending time with family. So looking forward to that. I'm hoping for the rest of you that you guys have had a good uh Good training, whether that be a judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Hopefully, you guys have managed to stay safe, not get injured, and that everything's going well in your classes. I've been having pretty good workouts. I haven't gone to the club in, in, in the past uh, couple of days simply because I've just been busy with, goodness, with, with family and, and, and getting things uh, done with the kids and, and things like that. So, but prior to that, I've had some some nice workouts over the past couple of weeks. Just not uh, this past Friday or this past Monday, unfortunately. I just couldn't make it to the club. But um, anyway, on this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Paris Grand Slam that happened uh, a couple of weekends ago. I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, Marius Weiser's Twitter Q&A. He tends to have one after the big Grand Slams. So I'm not sure when the next one is, but he had one at the conclusion of the Paris Grand Slam. He had some interesting answers to some questions. And of course, the leg grab question. You guys just can't help yourselves. Um, I'm also going to talk a little bit about some interesting news coming out of France. And that's going to be directly related to a, a, a listener reaction email uh, that I'm going to cover. I think you guys will find that interesting. And I'm also going to talk about... A recent promotion within the United States Judo Association that that bears uh, that it's worth mentioning, and I'll get into details of that later on. But first, I've got my housekeeping items. Before I continue on with the news and opinion items related to judo on this podcast, I always have the housekeeping items that I like to get out of the way. And for those who are new to the podcast, the housekeeping items are just. The part of the podcast where I tend to talk about things that are not really 
directly related to judo. Something sometimes it might be what I've seen in the theaters. Uh, there's been a lot of Star Wars talk lately, or or um, what I'm watching on Netflix, or or something cool that might have happened and stuff. So so this is the part of the podcast where I talk about things that really do not directly relate to judo. So along those lines. I'm noticing a trend among judo Instagram pages where guys are getting together shirtless and taking group pictures after training is over with. I mean, how does that even happen? It, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, so you're, you're, you're working out and you, you got your gi on this whole time and, and somebody's like, hey, let's, let's take a, a group photo after, after the workout. That'd be great. And, so, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Let me just get my uh, jacket on and, and put on my belt. And somebody's like, no, 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 no. Let's take this picture shirtless. And like, somebody's like, well, well, why? And then he's like, well, why not? It'll be awesome, dude. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing that I'm seeing on a lot of Instagram pages lately. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. And I, if it was... If it was like on the beach or maybe you're at a water park, yeah, sure, you get you get together as a group of guys, you take shirtless pictures and, and whatnot, and you know. But I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Maybe you maybe somebody can explain to me how that happens because I would think it's natural to put the gi back on and put on your belt and and um, have a nice group photo, like I see often on uh, uh, Cody Stray's. Uh, Instagram page or Oakland Judo's Instagram page. It's very tasteful pictures, post-workout pictures. But then, you know, as I'm flipping through my Instagram, I see these shirtless dudes and I'm like, what's going on? Now, I don't put up any shirtless pictures of myself because it's been it's a well-known fact that every time I take my shirt off in public, a woman leaves her husband for me. And I don't really want to be the cause of divorce around this nation. So I keep the shirt on in almost all circumstances, unless I'm at the beach. And, and I take my shirt off and keep on keep my you know make my tattoos visible which shocks a, a heck of a lot of people but i don't know it just it just doesn't seem right to me in the same way that two guys on a motorcycle uh, is isn't doesn't look right to me and it's not a it's not an orientation thing it's just there's just some things that men as men should just not do with each other and hey, two guys on a motorcycle i mean what am i to do am i gonna put my arms around another dude's waist and lay my head on his on the back and you know hold on for dear life ah it just doesn't seem right to me kind of in the same way like uh two guys sharing an umbrella uh, it, if it's me it, it, there's one umbrella and i'm with a buddy one of us is getting wet uh, that's that's for sure all right so enough of that in short guys if you're listening to this and you have a tendency to do group selfie pictures after work your workouts Come on, put the gi back on. Do us all a favor. It, it, it looks a lot classier, believe me. All right, enough of that and enough of wham. It's time for my favorite segment of the Judo Chop Suey podcast. What time is it? Listener reaction. I've had some nice listener reaction over the past couple weeks, and I wanted to take the time to read some of that. Like I've said before, if you spend the time to write to me, I'm going to spend the time reading your email on this esteemed uh, podcasts here. So esteemed or hideous, one or the other. So the subject of this email is thanks, big dog. All right. It's nice to be called big dog every once in a while. <laughs> Just wanted to reach out to you and say, thank you. You're the reason I even know about judo started listening around 2015 or something. Well, uh, probably 2016 because in 2015, 
I was not behind this microphone at all. Continuing on. Only place around here was a BJJ place, signed up, and now I'm a blue belt. All right, not bad. You sign up to a place and you get your blue belt. That's awesome. What club do you train at? <laughs> Recently found a sweet judo place that I'm going to start tonight. Mad nervous, bro. But the way you talk about judo makes it seem accessible. Just wanted to let you know that I'm holding it down for you here in North Carolina. I appreciate the email, anonymous emailer. I'm not going to put your name out there. Uh, thank you very much for spending the time to write to me. Uh, I'm sure you did not just sign up to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu place and they promoted you to Blue Belt. That would be pretty funny. It does remind me of a story that I read on, on Reddit, on the Judo subreddit, about a fellow who made a phone call to his local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu place and they promoted him to Brown Belt instantaneously. <laughs> that is my favorite uh, post of all time on that Judo subreddit. For, for those who you... For those who hang out on that Reddit, um, you guys know the story. You guys know who I'm talking about. And the person I'm talking about, I know, listens to this podcast from time to time. You know, I'm just kidding around. I know there's a, a much deeper story to it than that. But initially, when you shared that, I, I thought I got a real kick out of that. So I hope uh, hope you understand. I like your contributions on that subreddit. So it's nothing, uh, no personal attacks here. It's all all in good, all in good fun, good natured. I received another email. It goes, Hi Dave, very interesting podcast. I really like the segment about the evolution of the judo rules. After your podcast, I realized that the IJF is, tr is trying to clean up the effects of the old bad rules that you mentioned. The Yuko, Koka, sloppy leg attacks. I am curious to know if they are giving these athletes enough time to adjust to Ipon and Wazari scores only. And eventually make the criteria for Wazari stricter. Not counting Yuko as Wazari. I also find it interesting that the leg grabs are regular Shido. Could this mean that they are preparing competitors for leg attacks after 2020 Tokyo and return judo to its pre-Olympic rules? All the best, anonymous emailer. Uh, P.S. Uh, keep up with the good work. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I, you didn't sign an anonymous emailer, but I'm going to keep your name anonymous because um, that's just what I do around here. So. So my personal thoughts on the leg grabbing attacks coming back in the future. I just think the only way they could do it at this point is if they raise the standard for Wazari. And you you have to you have to change the definition of Wazari and it can't include scores that were once Yuko. And I'm just saying that if they were to even go back there, I and I alluded to this last episode and I I'll kind of state my opinion on this here again I just think the IGF over the past 50 60 years have gone down this rabbit hole that they really can't come back from so let's say you go they they raise the standard of Wazari and now they bring back the leg grabs well you what you're going to end up happening at least in my opinion is that a lot of these matches will just go into golden score because it's going to be very difficult to get any sort of score and I really don't think the the IGF uh, or really the people who watch the IGF will want to see a bunch of matches going into Golden Score. It's it it can be exciting at times, but when it happens all the time, it, it matches lose its luster. It's like watching the NFL. You know, an ex a game that goes into overtime, or really any any of the four major sports in the United States. A, 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 well, except baseball doesn't have overtime, but. You know, sports that go into overtime, usually it's an exciting game. 
Usually it's very tightly contested. But if I were to watch the NFL or or the NBA, the Basketball Association, and those games constantly went into overtime, it would the overtime itself would lose its luster a little bit to me. And I would just eventually get sick of it. I, I, I would feel like, okay, well, instead of having an overtime, just add another quarter of play it, it, in, in, or make it six quarters instead of four quarters. So I just don't think the IGF would want to go down that route. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think that would be a good direction to go. So it, in, like I said before, it's just, this is the rabbit hole you go down when you make yourself an Olympic sport. You know, and furthermore... For their casual public that the IGF is trying to draw, you know, let's let's say somebody like my wife, for example, I'm, I I sit there and try to explain to her, yeah, well, a throw a, a throw for Wazari has to meet a certain criteria, so you got to throw the guy pretty hard, but it's not pr- like any pawn. So then you see, you know, my wife sees a hotly contested match where one person throws another. And it, it looks like an awesome throw. Their feet are in the air. They're spinning around and stuff. But they land on their side. And they say that's a that's no score because that's not really a traditional Wazari. Or, or maybe they land on their butt first. But it was an impressive looking technique. But they landed on their butt and then landed on their back. You know, you have casual people saying, well, wait a minute. He just threw that guy. How could that be no score? So I just don't see that happening. The IJF wanted a certain look to its matches, and I believe they've achieved that for the most part the way that judo is being played today on the on the world tour. They don't want beg, bent over leg diving, and that's what it had become prior to the rule change. And I hate to say it, but that's just that's that's not all on the IJF. You you had coaches and you have players coming up with game plans to get the get get any score and and try and hold on to that score and and. It's where we're at. I've talked about this before. You know, you know my feeling on it. I'm not saying we should have banned leg grabs, but at the same time, I understand the position the IGF was put in. And as I alluded to last week, many people make the argument that the uh, the Olympics ruined judo, and they may have a strong case about that. The the people who make that argument, I think, has a very strong case. I've got one more email that I want to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't want to identify this person. Um, it's nobody that I've read here before, but he's, he lets some personal information in here. Anyway. All right. So continuing on Dave, I'm a long time listener to the podcast. I'm not a judoka, but the proud dad of a junior uh, player. All right. Let's see Since you have helped so many judo fans with your podcast, I want to help you while dissecting the star Wars movie on your latest podcast. You complained that you hated having to miss a chunk of the movie for the inevitable bathroom run. Fortunately, you and everyone else who loves supersized drinks at the theater, there's a solution. You need runp.com because movie theaters don't have pause buttons. <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. <laughs> All right, sorry. I let me regain my composure here. Okay, P.S. For what it's worth, I agree with you about the movie. The Last Jedi sucked. Watching Luke Skywalker drink. <laughs> Green space walrus milk to prove to Ray that he was a badass or something I can't unsee. Yeah, neither can I. Not exactly the same as hanging upside down with one arm gone from the bottom of Sky City, is it? The franchise has lost its 
see it in the theater status with me after that disaster of the movie. Yeah, I I hear you. Anonymous emailer. I I won't go that far because I've said it before. I'm a chump for Star Wars. I'm going to see Solo for as pathetic as that thing looks. I mean, oh man. That really looks horrible. Like, I really need to see how Han Solo and Chewbacca met. Like, I... I, I don't care about that, but I'm going to pay to see it because I'm just a big chump. I'm sure they'll eventually do the Boba Fett story in, in much more detail, and I'm sure they'll cover, I don't know, the history of how C-3PO was made. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. They did that already. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, Darth Vader created C-3PO. How about that? No, you know what we need? We need an Admiral Akbar story so I can see how he went from from private all the way to Admiral. That that would be interesting. All right, enough of that. As always, if you want to email me, you can email me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at judoka. You could also find me on Facebook if you do a search for the Judo Chop Suey podcast. You'll find that page there. It's... it's uh. Not a page that I post as much as I should, most likely. Uh, my Instagram is awesome. My, my Facebook is uh, not nearly as awesome. So feel free to follow me, friend request me, whatever you like. You go right ahead. I want to uh, get to some news items. And here's a doozy of a news item that I thought was really, really interesting. This was shared... I don't remember exactly where I found it. Probably on some on the judo subreddit, I'm sure. And again, I I don't like pawning stories off the subreddit, but sometimes people post stuff that I find really interesting, and I find this one fascinating. It and this might provide an answer to the second email that I read uh, just a few minutes ago. And I read this probably about a week ago. The French Judo Federation is no longer going to apply IJF rules to their national tournaments. Now, I had to look this up a little bit because I do not know the judo federations in France. And I needed to make sure that this story was not part of a secondary federation in France that we may not know about. But no, this is specific to the French judo federation. The Federation Française de Judo. So here's a story, and I got this as a translated version from Les Esprits du Judo. Uh, so pardon if I'm butchering, if, if this doesn't sound right, but this is this is a Google translation of the page that was in, in French. I don't speak French very well, and I certainly can't translate it uh, very well at all. So here it goes. While the FF Judo announced yesterday that a majority of the latest arbitration changes made by the International Judo Federation would no longer apply on the national territory. This morning again, a thunderbolt because via a press release, the FF Judo announced in a very pithy manner that following the request of the International Judo Federation, the new IJF rules of arbitration will be applied nationally to all competitions in the high-level sector. A very prompt and predictable response from the IJF, which was af- which, after which the FF Judo changed its position. Pending further explanation from the National Technical Direction, the decision taken yesterday will see will give to see a totally new situation with the application on the territory hexagonal to arbitration rules. The situation becoming every day more ubiquitous 
consequence of the opening of the box of Pandora, opening Pandora's box of the arbitration at the world level, which will be undoubtedly at the heart of many discussions during the Grand Slam of Paris. There was also another article from the same site, uh, site published a few days later on February 5th. And let me see if I can uh, wrap this up here and give you the summary version of this. Let me just take a quick look. It says this afternoon, the national technical director sent an email to the to the league's developmental committee, uh, technical frameworks on the National Commission of Arbitration to, to inform that the rules of arbitration issued by the International Judo Federation at the end of 2017, amended early 2018, do not match the image of the judo of our federation. Thus, a majority of the modifications made official during the arbitration seminar in Mitrasil will no longer apply in French national competitions as indicated below. But the Wazari Awaseti Ipon and the obligation of a value or third Shido during the golden score will still be valid. The article goes on to quote the French technical director uh, for the federation, Jean-Claude Senaud. Uh, let's see, he states, we discussed this during a meeting of the technical direction. For us, these rules are not positive developments to score Wazari by falling on the elbows or hands. A decision taken as a response to the fact that the fighters were ready to put the elbow or hand so as to not fall on their backs and thus be injured. There is very little of this kind of injury and most of all, there are enough of these permanent changes. Does football change its rules every year since early January? There has been a lot of discontent in French judo, especially among teachers. A far from harmless stance in the form of a stop signal to do, to the International Judo Federation. So this is fascinating to me. I don't know about you guys. This is fascinating to me. This isn't like some, you know, small time uh, judo federation, some you know, the equivalent uh, here is of some local Yudashikai that, you know, has a small... This is this is the federal... This is basically French's, France's version of USA Judo, if you need to know. So what's interesting to me is that France is starting to take a stand against these changes put out by the International Judo Federation. And I... <laughs> I'm just surprised to see this because I know the president of the French Judo Federation, Jean-Luc Rouget, or Rogue, uh, he sits on the IGF board. He's part of that. He's part of that process. So I had openly wondered a few weeks ago. I, I don't know if I did it on this episode or not. For all the complaints that I hear about the IGF rules and the changes and all that, there are a lot of people on the IGF committees. We're talking about titans of the judo world, in, in our judo world anyway. People like Neil Adams, Jean-Luc Rouget, Yasuhiro Yamashita, and a few others whose names are escaping me. So just to put it out there, it, it's not like, you know, you've got these people who are out of touch making these decisions. These are, a lot of these people in decision-making positions have been world champions, Olympic champions, Olympic medal winners. They, these people are not just scrubs like me, uh, it, you know, having preconceived notions of what judo should be. These are the people making decisions on the rules. And to see the French Judo Federation, who is headed by Jean-Luc Rouget, um, it's almost like a conflict of interest of sorts because you've got, un unless he's driving this as well, un unless these decisions are being made by, 
you know, fellow by the name of Juan Carlos Barcos and and uh, Vladimir Barta. I don't know if these guys are making these, uh, putting out these these ideas to change the rules. But you don't have a you're not these rules are not made in unison. I don't know how they're voted on. I don't know how they're decided. I guess what I'm trying to put out there is that whatever we think of the IJF, the people running it in terms of our judo community, they're not scrubs. They're not people that are out of touch. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say they're out of touch. But at the same time, (laughs) you got the French Judo Federation saying enough is enough. And they're putting their foot down on this, that unless you are an elite competitor, we're going to do judo our own way. Because we want to preserve what judo is supposed to be. And it's not supposed to be all of these changes that it's happening at the highest levels that, quite frankly, only impact far less than 1%. Like, less than one half of 1% of the people competing on the IGF Tour is driving a lot of these changes globally. And let's face it, you've got the recreational people. You've got the people that will never really exceed uh, doing judo past the national level. And there's no shame in that. Don't get me wrong. There's no shame in that. And then you've got the people who have a, a legitimate shot at making it on the IJF World Tour and competing regularly. Team USA, for example. But who's on Team USA? What, 12 judoka that represent uh, uh, the United States? What about the rest of us? In France, there may be 20 people on the national squad compared to the rest of the uh, at least registered judoka in France, which is last I saw about half a million uh, registered judoka in France uh, under the French Judo Federation. I mean, judo is, is very strong in France. And you've got people in that organization that is just putting their foot down. Millions upon millions of judoka will never even come close to competing on the IGF World Tour. So why should our judo and our instruction be shaped by what a minuscule percentage of the judo population is doing? And I wonder if other federations over the next few years will follow suit. Or will other federations put their own foot down and say, no, you guys, if you're going to be a part of this federation, you will do judo the way that it's being Uh, done at the IJF level. Because here's the other thing. Here's the other side of this. If you've got a bunch of, let's say, I'll just use USA Judo, for example. If you've got a bunch of people, you know, saying, look, we're not going to do Judo this way, but some other federation, let's just say USGA says, hey, come with us. We're going to do Judo the way that we believe Judo should be done. You know, you start having an issue of funding for USA Judo, for example. If clubs start leaving USA Judo in favor of of uh, the USJA or the USJF, now you have an issue of funding because those clubs that were under USA Judo now, now no longer are sending their annual dues and such over there. And, and that's kind of another issue in all of it in of itself because... I mean, look, I'm saying this as a person who is an assistant at a club. I see very little benefit to belonging to USA Judo. Yeah, you get the insurance and you get your coaching certifications. You can get your promotions through USA Judo. 
But outside of that, you're on your own. USA Judo is for the uh, Team USA. So it's for building that elite level program. And I think that's important. And I'm not saying don't support USA Judo. Don't get it twisted. That's not what I'm saying. I guess what I am saying is that apart from supporting the 12 members on Team USA or so, 12 or so, why should any of us uh, subscribe to what DIGF does? doesn't impact us one bit. And here's the thing. every I, I would venture to guess most sensei out there really believe that they've got their next uh, Olympian in their dojo. But the reality is that's probably very far from the truth. That's, that's just how it is. So why not develop your judoka in your clubs? And, and doing judo the way that it was originally intended to be and, and, and just say the heck with the IJF. And again, I'm not bashing the IJF because I do enjoy watching competitive judo. But like when I play a pickup game of basketball, I'm not following NBA rules. You know, just don't clothesline me when I'm going to the hole and I'm and I'm good to go. If you foul me, whatever, I'll just just get the ball back. I'm not, you know, we don't like when I play pickup basketball, nobody shoots free throws. My point is that you know, like in basketball, nobody plays under quote unquote NBA rules. So why can't it be the same in judo where nobody plays under quote unquote IJF rules? Teach leg grabs, teach Tegaruma, teach you know, Kataguruma. And and have people actively practice those techniques in in your clubs. And what else is interesting to me is that this is again a huge judo federation trying to put its foot down. I have to believe, and this is almost going back to the email that I read earlier, that after 2020, something has to change dramatically. A, a judo. If one of the largest federations is is putting its foot down, something has to change. You've got this current crop of world tour players preparing for the 2020 games, but afterwards they can make that change and, and, and go back to something that is a little bit more agreeable for a lot of these organizations. And guys, look, to be clear, this goes far beyond leg grabs, all right? But in terms of scoring and in terms of gripping, in terms of how the game is is called, uh, uh, officialed, this, this, it, judo is going in a direction that, uh, well, for, for many of the old timers, it's already unrecognizable. But how much more changes can judo make I, 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 to to make the sport, to, to, whatever, the kowtow to what the, the IOC wants? So kudos to the leadership at the French Judo Federation for trying to take a stand. I, look, I've said it before. The leg grab banning doesn't really bother me all that much. It, it really doesn't. But again, I I can understand the arguments. I And I said it earlier. I did not like the rule changes for for uh, made earlier this year. I, I, I thought they were going in the wrong direction. I thought in 2017 they were building off of the exciting uh, real games, which I, I thought the judo there displayed was phenomenal. And I thought they made enough tweaks in 2017 uh, to make it better. But I think what they did in 2018 earlier this year, whatever they ratified, well, I already covered what they ratified, but those changes, I think they took it a step backwards. I, I really do. And, and I say it again, I'll say it, I said it before, I'll say it again. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not sure if I am. I would like to announce a news item on uh, specific to judo in the United States that I came across 
about a little over a week ago. And that's Jim Bregman got promoted to Judon by the United States Judo Association. Now, for those of you who don't know who that is, uh, Jim Bregman is, well, now he's a Judon. He represented the United States in the 1964 Olympic Games in the middleweight category and took the bronze. And he is also uh, a bronze medal winner in the 1965 uh, Judo World Championships. Jim has had a tremendous judo career in the United States. He's he's served on United States judo. He served the United States Judo Association from for many many years. I believe he's been uh, president of the USJA, and he was promoted to Kudan uh, about nine years ago at an international YMCA judo camp. Um, actually, the specific date is August nineteenth. So I I always find it interesting how. These decisions are made to promote somebody to these very high ranks. He's not the only Judon in United States history. It's usually a collective effort, whether that's through the USJA, USA Judo. I know over in the Kodakan, they have a promotion committee as well. It's not just a single person promoting people to, to 10th, uh, you know, to Judon. And really, at the end of the day, you, if you can't promote a guy like Jim Bregman to Judon, then who can you promote to Judon, you know? So I would like to give a brief synopsis of other people who have been promoted to Judon in the United States. I don't want to cover, you know, the rest of the world, even though there are not many uh, people who have been promoted to, to Judon, even globally. But I wanted to give a brief synopsis of the history of U.S. Uh, judo in the United States and who has been promoted to Judon. And let's start with... Mr. George Harris, who was promoted to Judon after he passed away, shortly after he passed away. George Harris placed fifth in the 1956 World Championships and won uh, six Air Force Judo Championships, four national U.S. titles, two gold medals in the Pan Ams, and he represented the United States in the 1964 Olympics along with uh, Jim Bregman. George was also the one who promoted Jim to Kudan, uh, back nine years ago, so he was the one who gave Jim that honor. Yoshihiro Uchida is the head, or you know, actually, he's still alive. He is the head coach of the San Jose State University Judo Club. Well, I don't believe he's at a in an active capacity, given the fact that he's ninety eight years old. But but for for decades, he was the head coach of uh, San Jose State's uh, Judo Club. And he has represented the United States in international matters related to judo for many decades. And he was the head coach uh, for Team USA in the 1964 Olympics. So, you know, what's really interesting to me about that team, the 1964 Olympics, is that it truly represented what the United States should be all about. And what I mean by that is that Team USA back then consisted of Somebody of Jewish descent, uh, an African-American, a Japanese-American, and a Native American. And I just find it fascinating that, you know, given that the United States has a history of being a melting pot, uh, bringing together all different, uh, different people of different races, ethnicities, religious backgrounds, etc. I thought the very first representation of Team USA in the Olympics really had a very diverse group and... And kudos to whoever it was that brought that entire team together and picked those gentlemen. Granted, they were probably the best of the best that this country had to offer. But it just, I think it's a testament in an era where there is a lot of 
divisiveness uh, among social issues, it's good to be reminded that it really isn't always that way. Really, I don't believe it's that way for the most part. I think a lot of that narrative takes place in, in social media with people claiming that the United States is a racist country, which it's not. I mean, are there issues that should be better in this country? Of course, and I'm not going to argue that point, but neither will I sit here and stand for this ridiculous argument that the United States is a racist country. Certain people have been uh, disenfranchised for sure. I'm not going to deny that, but I will say being somebody who's in this middle age, I think things are better today, despite what you hear on social media, than they were 30 years ago. Continuing on. Uh, somebody else who has been promoted to Judon in the United States is uh, Mr. Carl Geis, who has since passed away. He's one of the founders of uh, the USJA, and he was promoted to Judon right around the month before he died. In the 1950s, he was a, uh, promoted to, to Yondan as a Kodak, uh, at the Kodakon, which is quite a remarkable accomplishment for a Westerner back in those days. I don't know how often the Kodakon uh, promotes Westerners to uh, a rank of Yodan and above. But I think that's pretty remarkable given the fact that, you I mean, think about it in the fifties, we're, we're talking about less than a decade removed from, from the war really. And I simply can't imagine what life would have been like for an American in Japan at the Kodokan during that time. But, but clearly Carl Geis was a, a remarkable talent and, and certainly, uh, Contributor to judo for, for decades. Kaiko Fukuda is somebody who I'm sure many of you are familiar with. She was promoted to judon by USA Judo and the USJF for her lifelong contributions to judo. She was also a Kodokan Kudan and both accomplishments make her the highest ranking female judoka in history. Prior to her passing away, she was the last living student of Jigoro Kano, and her grandfather was a samurai master and Jigoro Kano's first jiu-jitsu instructor. She taught at the Soko Yoshi Judo Club in San Francisco for decades, and I'm sure people who are familiar with, with judo in the Bay Area, uh, shout out to you, Jonah. I'm sure you've probably been to this club at least once in your life, at least I would hope so, over in San Fran, that... Uh, she ran that club for decades, and obviously, like I said before, she was the highest-ranking uh, female judoka in history. Quite an accomplishment uh, for Miss Fukuda. Mr. Jeremy Glick uh, was posthumously promoted to an honorary judon after his heroic actions on United Airlines Flight 93. And I'm sure for you younger folk out there, he was one of the. If you for you younger guys out there, maybe people who are not familiar with what that significance is around the world. Uh, if you're all familiar with the terrible events of September 11th, he was one of the few passengers on Flight 93 who rushed the terrorists um, who were intending what they believed at the time to crash the plane at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. But that was the one plane that did not hit a building on that on that terrible day, and it crashed into a field in Pennsylvania, uh, largely in part to thank uh, Jeremy Glick and a few others. So the USJA honored his memory by giving him an honorary judon. And lastly, there's Phil Porter, who was one of the other founders of the USJA and one of the pioneers of judo in the United States. Now, some people out there will say good old Phil promoted himself via the United States Martial Arts Association and gave him the title of O-Sensei. 
I would one day like to do an episode on Phil Porter. He was certainly uh, one of the most important pioneers of judo in the United States. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding uh, Phil Porter. And I think it would be proper at some point to have that discussed in a in a very uh, fair and respectful way. I'll just say that there is a reason why there are three national governing bodies in the United States. And a lot of people could argue that Phil Porter is one of the main reasons why that is. So one day I would like to do an episode to cover Phil's life, uh, both the good and maybe the not so good, but again, in a respectful manner. Also, something that I found really interesting that surprised me. Many of you in the United States are familiar with a fellow by the name of Don Drager. He wrote a couple of judo books. He was really the quintessential Western martial artist. And he was a, as, as far as I know, he was a godon in judo. I'm a little surprised given Don's contributions to judo and he him also being one of the pioneers of judo in the United States that he has not ever been promoted to to judon. I, I, that's surprising to me. Perhaps Don got out of judo uh, as he was getting older. I know that for a fact that he pursued other martial arts, other Japanese martial arts, and in none of those martial arts he he's a he's a tenth degree, which again is a little surprising to me given his his remarkable martial arts career. But maybe Don just didn't have the competition record. I I guess I don't know that that's why I was. Asking out loud, you know, I'm wondering what the promotion criteria is for somebody like Judon. I really don't know. I know people, there's a promotion board. It's done by the, you know, the president of the federation, you know, and, and everybody's discussed and they vote on it. But curious that Don Drager is not a Judon. To me, anyway, maybe I, I just don't know enough about his life to to even comment. That's That's probably very true. Actually, I know it is true. And while I may not be qualified to even you know, discuss who should or should not be a Judon. I recall Neil Adams. I remember hearing this about a year or two ago that he believes that no one should be promoted beyond six down without having success competing internationally. Now, I don't, I don't really know what to think about that personally. I'm certainly not going to argue with Neil on this podcast because that that's absurd, but I do find Neil's comment interesting i mean on one hand i can understand that uh from that point of view uh this in the sense that the other other people could be thinking well you know how can he be ranked so high if he wasn't he or she wasn't better than her peers or or their their peers at any point of their competitive career but then on the other hand should there be a ceiling for people to achieve high ranks solely on the basis of a very short period of time in his or her athletic prime and I mean, we're talking about people who have dedicated 50, 60 years who would ever even be considered for some of these really high ranks like Sichidan, you know, Kudan, Judan, Hachidan, forgot that one, sorry. So when you have a person that dedicates 50 or 60 years of their life to judo, should really an 8 to 12 year span limit their um, access to higher ranks? I, I really don't know about that either. I would venture to guess that people who competed internationally and competed at a high level would, would probably fall on Neil's side. But there are plenty of high-ranking people who, you know, in my estimation, uh, deserve it. 
uh, that that do not have an international record to speak of. I mean, I, I may have mixed feelings on it, but, you know, quite frankly, I'll never be in a position to even worry about it. Just I'm just personally wondering out loud. I'd be interested to find out how these decisions are ultimately made. Now, before I continue on with the rest of the news items, got a question for you. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you go to the gym, you have a killer workout and you tell your significant other about it and they're like, oh, that's nice, honey. Or maybe you've been really disciplined with nutrition and you're finally seeing the results, but no one seems to care. You just want a little recognition, right? Your friends and family may not be giving you the recognition you deserve, but Health IQ is willing to. Health IQ wants to recognize your hard work and dedication to a fit and healthy lifestyle by offering you savings on your life insurance. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps health conscious people like many of you listening to this podcast to get lower rates on their life insurance. According to a 2009 study in the International Journal of Sports Medicine, men who did high-intensity exercise have a 35% lower risk of all-cause mortality. For women, the risk reduction is 44%. By having an active and healthy lifestyle, Health IQ can get you lower rates on your life insurance policy if you qualify. Visit www.healthiq.com forward slash judo to learn more and to see if you can qualify for a lower rate on your life insurance. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Paris Grand Slam. I'm not going to go into a match-by-match breakdown. I do want to highlight some of the winners. And I also want to highlight some of the glaring missed calls and just the overall uh, feel of the tournament, I guess. So just full disclosure right up front, I did manage to watch about an hour and a half of judo action on day one, uh, and I was watching that on my phone. So unfortunately, I could not switch from mat to mat when there were other matches going on because I know the IJF, they stream four mats, but I could not on my phone, I could not switch from you know, if the match was boring, I could not go to mat two or mat three or anything like that. I was on the main mat where there was a commentary. And I, boy, I got to say, I hate to say it. I probably missed all the really good judo contests because what I watched in an hour and a half was fairly boring. So I had to catch up and see what happened in the other matches um, and and kind of catch up on how people won. And there were some... In the in the mid early the mid rounds, some missed calls that I want to cover that I thought was really interesting. Maybe it's just a misinterpretation on the rule set from my point of view, but I saw a couple things that I wanted to discuss. Now, for starters, I gotta say that boy, Paris. When it comes to judo, this Grand Slam is really something else in terms of audience reaction participation. It draws a strong crowd, and I gotta I gotta imagine how impressive and maybe even intimidating for some people for them to step out there in front of, you know, 10,000 plus people, you know, really being loud, really being active. I don't, I know a lot of the Grand Prix and the other Grand Slam events that are, that take place in other countries. They don't, they don't draw as strongly. You get a, you know, large crowd reaction sometimes and such, but I don't know. It just seems like Paris takes it to a whole nother level. It's, it's almost it almost is 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 like watching judo in the Olympics in terms of just the reactions, the oohs and ahs and everything like that. It's it's really impressive to see and and kudos to to Paris and everybody involved for putting on a a tremendous event. 
Now, before I continue on with the specifics of the event, I wanted to talk to you guys uh, to let you know what the difference is between a Grand Slam and a Grand Prix. I had to ask uh, my buddy Hans Van Essen of JudoInside.com, a site that you all should be visiting at one point or another. I asked him what the difference was between a Grand Slam and a Grand Prix, and, and this is exactly what he told me. Uh, I'll, actually, you know what? Instead of reading it, I'll just break it down. Well, for starters, uh, the prize money is a lot higher. Uh, the points that you earn for uh, placing at these events are a lot higher. And one of the key things here is that the, the main organization putting together the event has to agree that, that the final block needs to be broadcasted by the, the national um, host. So let's say there was a grand event in the you know United States. It was a grand slam in the United States, which would never happen. But if there was, that would need to be broadcasted nationally, say a program like, I don't know, Maybe PBS, <laughs> which would, that would be odd to put a sporting event on PBS. But you know, you know what I mean. It's got to be broadcasted at, on a national scale. Uh, Hans had told me that that they never actually do that, which is kind of odd. But it's in the written agreement for whatever reason. At minimum, they've got to have a a live stream with with the the local host commentary. I I guess that's what I understand. So, for example. In, in Paris, there's got to be a specific Paris commentary to an internet feed. The venue itself has got to be bigger. The hotel rooms have got to be nicer. And from what I understand, I wasn't sure if Hans was kidding about this or not. But uh, wherever Marius Weiser goes, uh, they have to include a bottle of uh, Don Perignon. I guess that's really true because uh, I had somebody else confirm that to me. So in the event you guys were ever wondering what the difference between a Grand Slam and a Grand is the Grand Slam is a much larger event with really a lot more kickbacks and perks to people who are representing the IJF. So nicer hotels, bigger venue, more money, more uh, points given out per place, and that kind of thing. So Paris, again, huge event. And some of the results that I wanted to get into, the hometown favorite Clarice Agbagnenu took first in the under 63 kilo division. Of the matches that I watched her, she was brilliant and she was dominant and she looked every bit of what a world champion should look like and she was just fantastic that day. Sporting a new hairstyle, by the way. She looked very nice, I must say. Uh, Teddy Renner was not at this event. He didn't even show up at, at all. I don't know why he didn't show up. I saw his Instagram recently. Uh, he's in Hollywood, California for some reason. I saw him running... Uh, running around the hills with his judo coach uh, out there. So I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's filming some kind of movie or commercial or, or something like that. I have no idea, but he was, or maybe he's just on vacation. Hell, hell I mean, he's, he's a world champion and Olympic champion and, and undefeated for a really long time. So, hey, why, why not? In the under 60 kilo division, Toru Shishimi of Japan defeated uh, Shara Fudin Luftayev of Uzbekistan in an unfortunate way because uh, uh, Luftyliev uh, got an injury on, on a throw uh, done by Shishime, and it was pretty gruesome to see. I, I don't know exactly what happened. I just know that he hit the ground, and he started wailing in pain, and just an unfortunate way for Shishime to win, but he does get the gold. Anbal takes gold in the under-66 kilo division. It's the first win for... 
on balling in quite a while. And he was winner by Shido in Golden Score, defeating Yoshiro Maruyama of Japan. So congratulations to him. Akil Jakova of Kosovo defeated Lasha Shadu, uh, Shadatuashvili of Georgia. Uh, he got a Wazari in the early going of the match, probably about halfway through the match, and managed to hold on, uh, causing uh, Shadatuashvili to get to Shido, and that's how the, the match ended. In the under-81, Sotaro Fujiwara defeated Seung-Soo uh, Lee of Korea, with a pretty good Uchimata for Ippon, it was very nice. In the under 90 kilo division, uh, Becca Janashvili of Georgia lost to Soichiro Mukai of Japan in 14 seconds. And that's very surprising final. Usually these final matches last a lot longer than 14 seconds. But a very impressive win uh, by Mukai of Japan. Michael Correll of the Netherlands gets the gold medal in this contest. He did not actually have a contest Turns out his opponent, Guham Cho of Korea, had to withdraw for some reason. Uh, Cho defeated Cyril Murray of France in the semifinal, so, and he did not look injured there, so I'm not sure exactly what happened. Maybe I missed something, but, um, but Michael Correll gets his first victory of the year, even though he didn't have to fight anybody. And in the over 100 kilo division, Kageura of Japan defeated Sungmin Kim of Korea, with a beautiful Kouchigari. It was inc pretty incredible for Ippon. Very nice to see. Now, earlier in the day, Kageura uh, had a match with uh, Tushishvili, one of my favorites to watch from Georgia. And Tushishvili uh, lost his composure and ended up kneeing uh, Kageura in the head uh, during an Awaza situation. And Keiji Suzuki, who's a head coach, he was screaming for it. Uh, the referees reviewed it, and sure enough, they gave the Hansokumaki to Tushishvili, and deservingly so. I'm not going to defend, even though I like watching him, I'm not going to defend that action at all. It was against the spirit of judo. It was the right call. Didn't look like it hurt all that ma much, and quite frankly, it, it seemed like Kageura was embellishing the pain a little bit. But regardless, it was a very poor decision. It was really surprising to see Tushishvili lose his cool in that in that way. In the under 48 kilo division on the women's side, Daria uh, Bilo did uh, defeated Yu Yong Kang of Korea with the most unusual Osai Komi I think I've ever seen in my life. I'm not even sure how or the ref called that uh, Osai Komi, but he sure did, and she held on for the Ippon for the victory. In the under 52 kilo division, Uta Abe of Japan defeated Amandine Bouchard of France and it looks like Abe is going to continue her run of dominance. Uh, her brother was not in this competition for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe he's just taking some time off, which, hey, you know, like I said, it's fine with me if you're the best, which he is right now. So Abe wins, and I really, like I said, I, I don't see her losing a match uh, all year, quite frankly. She was dominant, and she's going to continue her dominance, uh, certainly for this calendar year moving forward. Also in this division, Angelica Delgado of Team USA happened to have a nice showing. She, if I'm not mistaken, she placed seventh in this tournament, which that's that's a big deal. I mean, given the level of competition that showed up at this Grand Slam, congrats to her. I I, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, well done. In the under 57 kilo division, uh, Sukasa Yoshida 
of Japan defeated Krista uh, Deguchi of Canada. Yikes. This has got to be... She won by Wazari Awaseti Ippon. Both techniques were pretty pathetic. Uh, and I don't, I'm don't. i not disparaging Yoshida uh, for her technical ability. I'm just disparaging the way that uh, Wazari is being called in this... Was called in this match. And some of the other matches where they were calling Wazari... It, it it doesn't look good. <laughs> I just I'll just say that it doesn't look good in my opinion. Maybe some of you guys have a different feeling on it, but as I said in my earlier and in my last episode, I have I felt that they had the rules right last year and I think they took a step backwards with their interpretation of the rules and some of the changes this year. Now I already mentioned this earlier but Clarice Agbegnenu of France defeated Miku Tashiro of Japan with a beautiful Ippon. Now this is this is worth seeing if you guys want to take a look online. It's worth seeing her matches. She had a great day, of course, being the world champion. I wouldn't expect anything less and she just was she was brilliant. Uh congratulations to you, Clarice. In the under 70 kilo division, Great Britain shows up in strong style. God save the queen. Sally Conway defeated Shizuru Arai of Japan with a beautiful counter to Arai's uh, Uchimata. It looks like Arai threw the Uchimata. She looked at the ref to see if if, if she got the call, but, but Conway just kept fighting and managed to turn her over onto her back for, for Yoko Shiogatami, and she held on for, for the victory. So congratulations. It's a huge win for Team Great Britain, and... Um, Wow, awesome victory, awesome fight, and and congratulations to Sally Conway. The French crowd loved it too. In the under 78 kilo division, France saw another victory by way of Audrey Chimeo defeating Guchise Steenhuis of the Netherlands. Sorry if I got that name wrong. I'm not exactly sure how this ended in golden score. It looked like Chimeo attempted a foot sweep on Steenhuis and... After about a second and a half, she just flopped on her back and, and Chimeo got the, the pawn. It, it, <laughs> I didn't know any better, which I'm not saying anything. If there was such thing as throwing matches in judo, this would be it. <laughs> I'm not saying Steen Huis threw the match. Please, I'm not saying that. It just looked really odd. Maybe uh, Steen Huis was going for some kind of sacrifice technique and she just flopped on her back. Maybe she just keeled over from just exhaustion. It was a long match. I don't know what it was, but the, the French crowd loved it. Shimeo gets the victory. Congratulations to her. And lastly, Min Jong Kim of Korea defeated Yan Wang of China uh, via Han Sokumaki, uh, winner by Shido, that type of thing. Um, Not an exciting match. I mean, what can I say? They just kind of, you know, fought for... Several minutes until one person got Han, Han Sukumaki three times. In this case, it was Yuang. Um, nothing exciting to see there. Now, something I wanted to comment on was the officiating. I have been a staunch defender of the referees, and I think they get the call right almost all of the time. But wow, in this tournament, and I look, I get it. There's new rules, and they haven't had all that much time to adjust to the new rules and such. But... I saw instances of guys getting scored on uh, via leg grabs when it should have been called a shido. Um, I saw a couple of instances where people were not in an Nawaza situation and the legs were being grabbed. I saw what's 
commonly referred to as the idiot sweep, when the person who was getting swept their knees did not touch the ground. They were not in a Nawaza situation, therefore could not uh, grab the legs in that case. I even saw another situation where in the bronze medal match, Axel Clerget of France defeated uh, Kenta Nagasawa uh, via uh, uh, Sankakujime, except Nagasawa's knees never touched the ground. And Clerget was using his hands on the legs to get a better position and, and this and that. Now, look, it was exciting. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought it was great. But how is it that uh, the referee on the on the mat and, and everybody on the side uh, did not call this? Uh, because, look, uh, we covered this a couple of weeks ago that this is how it's going to be called, that you can't. I mean, we discussed this with the the Ryan. I called it the Ryan Vargas rule, where you can't be grabbing the legs if the person you're not in a Nawaza situation. And the IJF clearly defined what a Nawaza situation is. So there has been a few instances where I've seen these rules just completely. The refs are not sure what to do. They it was easier for them to call last year, which again, this is exactly why I don't like these new rule changes for 2018. In the under 66 kilo division, I saw a match between uh, uh, Kylian uh, Lebloch of France versus Diogo Cesar of uh, GBS, which I think is Guinea Bissau. There was a so in this contest, there was a a leg grab in a situation where it didn't seem like it would be proper to have a leg grab called there. Or what I mean to say is, there should not there should have been a shido called, but yet they didn't call a shido on this uh, in this situation. It was an odd situation. Cesar was on the ground and uh, Liblouch grabbed his pant leg and, and did like a Tegaruma of sorts pretty much right from the ground to turn him over and got the Wazari. So I, I don't know. This is I, I think the refs are having a tough time and I don't blame them really. I mean, I'm not, not trying to be too critical of them. I think they do a fabulous job overall, but yikes. These new rule changes have some of these calls not being called right. And I like I said last year, I thought they were... 99% of the time, I thought they were phenomenal. The refs, that is. So at the conclusion of the 2018 Paris Grand Slam, Marius Weiser, the president of the International Judo Federation, decided to host a Twitter Q&A using his uh, ask, hashtag AskVeiser. And there were some pretty good questions. There were some interesting responses. Um, he answered one of my questions. I wanted to touch on some of the questions that were asked and some of his answers. Uh, at Essercode asks, does the IJF have any position or input on the poor support mechanisms present in many federations to introduce adults to the sport? In many countries, adult beginners do not even have a viable path to showdown. That's an excellent question. I, you know, th This one I didn't actually see uh, prior to reading it right now because I was just doing the search on AskVisor. Uh, Marius Visor responds, we are just starting a program for adults, for kata, and for self-defense. We are always open to hearing new ideas. At Pierre M13010 asks, hi, Mr. President. I have a simple question. When will the rules stay more than one year? Thanks. Uh, Mr. Visor responds, we changed the rules for the benefit and for the clarity of our sport. Unfortunately, sometimes the creativity of some of our coaches and judoka goes too far. And instead of doing their best uh, by the application of the new rules. So that's really interesting because that is something that I have talked about as well in the past, in the recent past, uh, as recent as last episode, that we tend, a lot of people tend to hammer the IJF for 
a lot of these rule changes, but nobody, not too many people ever speak of the coaches and the athletes coming up with game plans to take advantage of every single rule that's out there and try and take advantage to find a loophole to, to win by those rules. So it's interesting to see Mr. Visor uh, take aim at the at the competitors and, and the coaches for the reasons why some of these rules have changed. And I look, I, I can't disagree. I mean, I, I have... I have some grievances with some of the changes with that the IJF made, but they are in response to the strategies that these brilliant minds in judo and um, whether it be coaches or athletes come up with. And I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically. They are brilliant judo minds. At G. Kurt Schiller asks, what will it take to bring leg attacks and grabs back into judo? Pretty please. <laughs> You can always count on one, one of these questions. At the moment, we don't have any plan for leg grabs to return, but already in the new rules, there is tolerance regarding the punishment for leg grabs. Ask Pfizer. Yeah, that's that's no surprise. At Camberley Judo Club asks, any help available from the IJF to help us fund desperately needed repairs to our full-time accommodation at CJC? We are a charity and look for athletes like Ashley McKenzie, who is unfunded. We're struggling finding grants. And Mr. Visor response today, I had a meeting with British Judo and we just discussed this subject. I gave them some guidelines for the future and potential opportunities for some great events in the UK in the future. This is for the benefit of British Judo. And I, you know, I see these type of questions every once in a while. I think from a international and even from a national perspective, a lot of clubs um, tend to look at the organizations for help. And I don't know if that's really what their role is supposed to be. Now, I know the IGF does spend money on building judo programs around the world and such, but I do not know what the IJF's financial situation is like. It, it seems like if you start giving money to support athletes um, in, in one retrospect, you know, in, if the IJF gives money to athletes to support them, then where does it stop? Like, how do they make that determination? And I, I know, I know, Camberley Judo Club is just looking out for their athletes' best interests, and I get that. But I just don't see how the organization as a whole should be in a position to send out money to different clubs. There, there's just there's thousands of different clubs. How are they going to dole out money to every single one of them that's out there? I mean, to me, and I, I'm not making light of, of this judo club situation, but it, it would be far better to go to a bank uh, if you need money for repairs for your club or whatever the case may be than to, than to depend on the IJF. I, I just don't think that's their function. And it same goes for national governing bodies. I think um, I think there are a lot of clubs out there, I could you know certainly in the United States, that think that USA Judo should be doing more um, and in one hand, I kind of I kind of understand that because, heck, we're all paying dues for USA Judo. And we don't see much benefit in that. But I don't think sending, you, you know, the, if they're going to spend money they're, they're you're no, but not everybody's going to get a piece of the pie there. That, that's just the way it is. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. I'm not the person to, to answer that. All I know is that I just can't imagine you know, it's like it's like some some city asking the NBA for millions of dollars to to renovate their stadiums. That just that's just not the role of the NBA and sent giving money to clubs to for repairs and stuff. I don't think that's the role of the IJF. 
at minimum, there needs to be like a comprehensive effort between British Judo, the IJF, and and other parties involved, other investors involved. That would be my take on the situation. And it's really no different. And the reason why I'm not picking on Camberley Judo Club, it's just that there are a lot of clubs out there with probably similar situations. And I would I would think the IJF's answer to that those situations are, are going to be the same. It's not like uh, trying to develop an, an underfunded uh, judo program in some country like Zimbabwe or something like that, a place that may not have a uh, very strong representation of judo. Mr. Visor asked, answered one of my questions. I asked, will the Israeli team be allowed to wear their national colors and have their national anthem played at this year's Grand Slam in Abu Dhabi? What will the IJF do to take a stand against this kind of discrimination? And Mr. Visor responded, we are on the way to manage this problem, and I hope to solve this in a constructive way for the benefit of our sport and with respect for all nations. Well, good. I, and I, I hope that the IJF and specifically uh, Mr. Marius Weiser continues to work toward that goal. I would hope, again, I hope this year is a year where, where Abu Dhabi doesn't pull that nonsense. And and don't don't come at me with any of this well you know Abu Dhabi doesn't recognize Israel nonsense. I, I don't I don't want to hear it. That that's absurd. And don't come at me with, with uh examples of how other countries don't recognize other countries. This this has far more to do with Israel as a nation than it does with, with policy. Lastly, uh Nemanha Majdov, former uh, judo world champion asks Judo needs better rankings and seedings. I think Olympic champs and world champs should be separated and it always seeded first. Let's see. Part two of his question is he gives an example. Olympic champion Renair, world champion Renair, uh, first rank, someone else, second rank. Renair should always be seeded first. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, Mr. Visor responds, thank you. We will take your proposal into consideration in the future. We hope to see you competing soon, uh, Nemanha. I guess he is... Um, He's rehabbing from two serious injuries, um, but he's looking to make a return at the Grand Prix in, in Morocco. So hopefully that works out for for uh, uh, Mr. Majdov and and uh, best of luck to you in your speedy recovery. All right. So I think that's going to do it for this hideous podcast. Um, before I sign off officially, I would like to welcome any of you listeners if you've made it this far. Um, to check out the original judo podcast by James Austin, I, I got to tell you, it's it's a podcast that I listen to regularly, but I got to I got to hand it to James, the quality of the content. And look, James, if you're listening, if you're here, you know, I'm not saying it was bad before. I'm just saying you've built on what you have already done. It's it's become an excellent podcast. It's it's really uh raise the bar so I've I've got to work a little bit harder to make this thing a little more entertaining as well. Uh, James had an interesting conversation in his last episode regarding whether or not judo is a martial art or is it a sport. And of course, there will there will always be that endless debate. But I thought James made an interesting point that uh, and I, I really can't disagree with it. He made a point and I'll just sum it up basically saying, you know, sports like boxing or wrestling, they know exactly what they are. But James felt that judo uh, has an identity crisis of sorts. And I I really can't argue with that. And when you take a look at the, the rule changes on what certain people want judo to be, and then you have the, the rest of the people 
who want judo to be a certain way. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, James. I, I, uh, normally I don't answer <laughs> or expose opinions, um, in response to somebody else's podcast, but I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, give my hats off to you to spurring some really interesting conversations. So any of you guys listening, I encourage you guys to check out the original judo podcast, um, especially his most recent episode. Um, and I thought it was a very good discussion. I, and I, I just thought it was an excellent point. I, I do also think judo has an identity crisis and, and I also do not believe it was always that way. I, I think, you know, probably at some point, you know, we and I've talked about this a little bit before as judo has evolved since its first inception in the 1964 Olympic games that you could, it would be hard to pinpoint when judo started having an identity crisis, but but certainly, I, I do tend to agree with you that in, in some aspects it does. So very interesting stuff, guys. If you are if you made it this far, you're listening, I would encourage you to check out the original Judo podcast. And also for you crazy folk that have actually made it this far into the podcast, um, I would like to offer you guys an opportunity. If you are ever interested in being my co-host, a guest co-host, like I did with uh, Cody Stray a couple of weeks ago, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm not much of an interview type of person. I I'm I'm just not as I'm not very good at it. I'm not very comfortable with it. I probably, you know, I, I know some of you guys or a lot of you have enjoyed the interviews that I've done, but I I just don't think I I do as good a job as say well as, as like James Austin does on his podcast. But I would like to offer you guys an opportunity if you ever want to co-host with me. Uh, feel free to shoot me a message if you are interested. The only requirements that I have is you you need the ability to uh, you can't record on your phone. I, I I need you you know you got to have some kind of a computer or a laptop. You have to have a decent mic, um, and you need to have some sort of recording software because what I did with Cody and it worked really well is that he recorded uh, our conversation on his end. And I recorded our conversation on my end, and I mixed the two tracks together, and and I, and I thought the quality was was outstanding given our you know limited resources because I don't I you know I mean I have a condenser mic here and and you know some halfway decent equipment, but it's not it's not studio grade for sure. And um, so I would just ask that you know you can't you can't sound like a tin can when you're recording, but if you guys are interested. I know one or two people have expressed interest in that, um, but I would like to offer that to you. If you have uh, an interest in, in knowing what the podcasting you know, process is like and seeing how I prepare things and stuff, I would you know, love to have you guys be a part of that. And you know, you'd be welcome to, to come on the program and, and we could talk whatever you'd like that's Judah related, even if you want to talk leg grabs. Heaven help us. All right, so with that, I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.